Okay. We are doing now Sunday's Torah portion, the first portion of Re'eh. And Re'eh begins, see, I present before you today a blessing and a curse. And Rashi clarifies that what we're talking about is the blessings and curses, not what is following in the next two verses, but the blessings and curses that the Jewish people will receive upon the two mountains of Gerizim and Ezel. As Rashi will explain soon what happened there. The next verse says, that this is something separate, the blessing, which is conditional, that you listen to the commandments of God that I command you today, which Rashi clarifies that this is conditional, there will be a blessing on condition that you listen, and the next verse, and the curse, which is also, of course, conditional, if you do not listen to the commandments of God, and you stray from the path that I commanded you to follow other gods. So Rashi here clarifies that we learn from this, as the verse clearly says about idolatry, that anyone who worships idols strays from the entire path. In other words, serving idols is denying the entirety of the Torah. But I keep the Sabbath, I keep Shabbat, I keep kosher. If you believe in idols, you're denying everything. The next verse, now we're discussing this Mount Grisim and Avil situation. When you come to the land, Israel, to possess it, you shall place the best blessing on Mount Grisim and the curse on Mount Avil. The Rashi explains when you come to the land, you shall place the blessing. This is as Targum understands it. What does it mean? The blessing, those who bless. Not literally the blessing should be delivered when standing on the mountain, but the people. And the next Rashi explains. It doesn't explain all the details, but to clarify a few more details. So we had the Levium in the valley between the two mountains. We had half of the tribes on the mountain of Grisim, half the tribes on the mountain of Abel. They turned to the mountain of Grisim and said the blessing. Then they turned to the mountain of Abel and said the curse, the converse of the blessing. The next verse. Now here we're describing where Mount Grisim and Abel are. Are they not on the other side of the Jordan, the Arden, far beyond, in the direction of the sunset, in the land of the Canaan, that dwell in the plain, far from Gilgo, near the plains of Moira. So Rashi, this is all giving us directions. Where are we going to encounter these two mountains that we have this whole ceremonial blessing-cursing situation? So each of these points of Rashi is to clarify what these words mean to give us this set of directions. So the verse begins, that I just read, are they not? And Rashi is wondering what this means, because usually that expression, are they not, means to contradict what was said earlier, which doesn't apply here, or means to strengthen, which also doesn't apply. So Rashi is basically saying it means like, behold. Meaning he's giving a sign where these mountains are. Then, after that, the verse says, Achare, after. The Rashi doesn't explain the rule here. He explains it previously. There's two words in Hebrew that mean the same after concept, Achare and Achar. 
according to Rashi, Achar means immediately after, and Achare means like far after. So by the verse saying Achare, it means far past the crossing of the Jordan, which is, of course, how we're getting into Israel by crossing the Jordan River, and far after that are these two mountains. The next phrase, Derech Mavoh Hashemesh, in the direction of the sunset, basically what Rashi is explaining here by looking at the cantillation marks in this verse, we're separating the word after with in the direction of the sunset, meaning it doesn't mean after, beyond the road toward the sunset. There's two pieces here that we're using as a description. On the other side of the Jordan, far beyond it, comma, so to speak, and then in the direction of the sunset, which is separated by this cantillation mark. We have another phrase here, mu hagilgo, which also is confusing because the term mu usually means opposite but connoting proximity. But here we know we can't be meaning proximity because gilgo is close to the Jordan. And we're discussing being very far from the Jordan. So therefore, Rashi is saying it means far from the Gilgo, meaning these two mountains aren't Mulha Gilgo opposite and close to Gilgo, but Mulha Gilgo far from Gilgo, because Gilgo is near the Jordan. And they went far from the Jordan when they encountered these mountains. Near the plains of Moira, which Rashi says the plains of Moira means Shechem. The next verse. For you are crossing the Jordan to come and take possession of this land that God gives you. You shall possess it and you shall settle in it. So Rashi explains why do we have to say here you're crossing the Jordan. You're, you're entering Israel. So Rashi says there's going to be a lot of miracles when they cross the Jordan. And those miracles of the crossing of the Jordan, which basically split for them just as when the Jews crossed through the sea and leaving Egypt, this is a sign that you're going to have a lot of miracles, that you're going to come and you will truly take possession and inherit this land, which obviously was dependent on a lot of miracles. Well, the miracles you've experienced thus far guarantee you the miracles crossing the Jordan, the miracles of, an, of taking possession of the land of Israel. And you should be careful to perform all the decrees that I present before you today. Next verse, now we're going through, these are the decrees that you should observe to perform in the land that God has given you, to possess it all the days you live in the land. The next verse. Destroy, destroy, it's written twice, all the places where the nations from you shall take possession worship their gods on the high mountains, on the hills, under every leafy tree. They worship their gods everywhere. Sarashi on destroy, destroy, when you, when you say something double, it means like, double means like infin- infinitely, meaning you keep on doing it. Because Rashi says, when we're talking here about the destruction of idolatry, which is what this verse is saying we have to do, it's not just destroy it. It's like pull it up by the roots. Wipe out all traces of it. All the places where they worshipped. And Rashi clarifies, what are we supposed to be destroying in all those places that they worship? Their gods, which are on the high mountains, etc. The next verse, you shall, now here we're describing the destruction. You shall break apart their altars, you shall smash their pillars and their asherim, Shall you burn in fire their carved images? Shall you cut down? You shall destroy their names from that place. 
we've got a lot of different words here of all these different forms of idolatry that the nations were indulging in. We have the term Mizbeach and the term Matzeva, which translates as an altar and a pillar. Rashi explains that Mizbeach, an altar, means many stones are building together the structure that was worshipped on. Matzeva, pillar, means it was one single stone. This was called the Bama. It was like a pedestal which the altar was placed on. Then the term Asherah refers to a tree that was worshipped as an idol. And then it says you should destroy their names, which Rosh explains meaning any of these pagan temples take their name and then turn it into something that mocks it. Rosh gives two examples. One is one an idol named Ain Kol, everyone's eye, twist from Ain Kol to Ain Kotz, which means a thorn eye. So you're mocking them by being very derogatory in how you're referring to their idols, a play on their original names. Then here we have a famous verse, you shall not do so to God, your God. So that's very famous because it's very ambiguous. What do you mean? You shouldn't do what to God, your God? And obviously it's contextual, but what, what, what here will we do to God? The Rashi gives three answers. One, don't do like all these nations are doing, that they worship anywhere. Under any leafy tree, there's going to be another worship. We can only serve God. We can only offer sacrifices in his temple, in his place. Not anywhere, like we're destroying all the pagans, anywhere idols. The second explanation is, here we're saying, mass, destroy, you know, do all these things to that which they worship on. So we're not allowed to do that to our altar, which means you can't erase the name of God, you can't take off a stone from the altar or from the courtyard of the temple. But then this is questioned because we're said, do you really think a Jew would go to mass? God's altar? Like, I mean, why would we even think of something like that? Hirashi gives a third answer. It means when we say, don't do so to God, it means don't act like these nations are acting. They were very corrupt and moral people because our sins would cause the temple to be destroyed. In other words, you are looking at these nations that are so corrupt and immoral and we're told to be thoughtful in destroying their temples. Don't do so to God, meaning don't act in such an immoral fashion that God will need to destroy our temple the way we are serving God and destroying their temple. So there are the three explanations of that phrase. Yeah, first, continuing. Rather, meaning we can't be like them and worship anywhere. Remember, that was the first explanation, which flows into the following verse. The second explanations are more a continuation of the previous verse. But based on the first explanation, this is contextually fit, so don't just offer anywhere. Rather, only at the place that God will choose, will choose from all their tribes and place his name there. You shall seek at his resting place and come there. And Rashi explains this means the temple in Elo. When the Jews came to Israel, first when they entered Israel, there was 14 years of conquest, of capturing and settling. But then after those 14 years, the temple built by Moses, by Moshe, was in one place for 369 years, that was in Shiloh. That's almost the duration of the temples, the Beit HaMikdash, which the first one was 410 and the second one was 420. Shiloh was almost as close, 369 years. So Rashi says that's what we mean, one place, his resting place, meaning Shiloh. The next verse, and there in Shiloh, bring your Ola offerings, your completely burnt ones, your sacrifices, your tithes, 
what was raising your hand, your vow offering, your kuhul offering, the first one of your cattle, your flock, all of these things bring there. Rashi clarifies what we mean here. Your sacrifices mean your obligatory peace offering. For example, a nazir at the end of the term of his vow has to offer a peace offering. It can't mean a voluntary peace offering, but that's included in the other phrase, your vow offerings and your free will offerings. And then your Ola refers to the obligatory Ola offering. Voluntary Ola offerings, remember Ola is completely burned, are included in your vow offerings and your free will offerings, because these are voluntary. Your types, your maestros, so these are several of the types, the types of the animal, the second type, which must be eaten within the walls of Jerusalem. Second type is of crops. It's not an animal. So the first type, which is either given to the lady or given to the poor, doesn't have to be eaten in Jerusalem. But the second type, during the times of the temple, has to be eaten in Jerusalem. During the time when the tabernacle is at Philo, it could be eaten in any location from which this tabernacle at Philo was visible. The next phrase is explaining, and that which was raised of your hand refers to the first fruit, the Bikurim, because we handed it. The coin took the basket from our hand, the basket in which was the special fruit, the first fruit of the special fruit for which Israel is praised. And the firstborn of your cattle, Rashi explains, we give them to the Kohen, and there the Kohen has to offer them. Okay, next verse. You shall eat there before God. You shall rejoice in all that you have undertaken, you and your household, as God has blessed you. So Rashi comments on these words, as God has blessed you, that according to the blessing, you should bring. Meaning, if God has blessed you with more, give more. Appreciate and show gratitude for his blessing. The next verse, which I guess will be the last one we'll do now. See. No, maybe I always get to this place of like, well, I want stuff after 15 minutes, but I'm almost done. So a little more, we should not do like all we do here today, rather every man what is proper in his eyes. Let's me shouldn't do like we do here today. The Rashi says, this goes back to now what we do in the desert versus what we're going to do in Israel. And basically, what it's meaning to say is when you cross the Jordan, immediately you can bring offerings on a bama, on a temporary altar, for the 14 years of conquering and division of the land of Israel. But on that bama, you can't offer up anything. You can basically only offer up free will offerings, what we call a nether and a nidavra, vow offerings and free will offerings. But all offerings which are obligatory cannot be offered there. In other words, let me try to explain this briefly. When the Jews are in the desert, well, originally, before they set up the temple for that, approximately a year period. Obama was permitted. You set up your own temporary altar and offer to God whatever you want. Then, of course, we have the temple, the tabernacle in the desert, the Mishkan for 39 years. And then nobody could just set up their own little Obama, their own temporary altar. You want to offer something to God, you go to the tabernacle, the Mishkan, which is right there. 
when they entered Israel, they had 13, 14 years, seven of conquering and seven of dividing the land. During that time, they were permitted to set up their own personal altars, but the only thing they were allowed to offer there was free will offerings, not obligations, meaning if you sinned and you have to bring an offering to God, you couldn't do it there. But there was some central place that they could. There was like a national altar. When they first entered Israel, the national altar was in Gilgal. So the national altar was in Gilgal, but at that time, you needed to go to the national altar if you, for example, had a sin offering. If you just want to give God an offering, like you're so grateful for all the good in your life, and you want to give up an offering, you made a vow to give an offering, then you could set up a bum in your backyard, and that was fine. Then the tabernacle, the Mishkan, was in Shiloh, we said, for 369 years. During that period, all personal altars were forbidden. 369 years, this is, this is for real. You go to Shiloh for anything you want. Then, for 57 years after Shiloh was destroyed, the tabernacle was in two places, Nova and Giva. For during those 57 years, again, we're in the same situation we were during the first 14 years. You could build something in your backyard just for free will, personal, generous donations to God, free will offerings and vow offerings. But for any obligatory offering, like if you sin, then you had to go to wherever this central temple was at that time, in Nova and Givon, where there was this like communal altar for all the Jews. And then the temple was built. So once, once the temple was built, from that point on, it was forbidden, this idea of the Bama. So even, of course, the temple was destroyed. There was a 70-year period between the two temples. And, of course, the temple has been destroyed for over 1,900 years. But once that temple was originally built by Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon, no one could set up a personal altar of Bama anywhere. So, again, there was a period originally in the desert where you could offer your personal offering. Then all the time of the tabernacle in the desert, the Mishkan, you could not for those 39 years. Then followed 14 years when they're conquering and settling Israel. You could have your own personal altar for your personal free will offerings. But for obligatory offerings, you had to go to Gilgal. Then we have 369 years in Shiloh where everything could only be offered in Shiloh. Then we have 57 years where you could again, like in the first 14 years, that if your personal offering for personal free will donations to God, the obligatory things you had to go to wherever the temple was, either in Nov or Gibbon. And then we built the temple in Jerusalem, and at that point, there's no such concept as a personal offering. All offerings were in the temple. If there was no temple, there were no offerings. This is very quickly. I took a long time, but I want to make sure it was clear. Um, that was in verse 8. In 9... Rashi says, you have not yet come to the resting place and to the heritage that God gives you. You have not yet come, meaning those 14 years when you first arrived, until now, meaning yet, to the resting place, which is Shiloh, where again there were 369 years, and to the heritage. This is Jerusalem, where the temple was built. And of course, that place of the Jerusalem is forever. And in the last verse of our section... You should cross the Georgian and settle in the land that God causes you to inherit. He will give you rest from all your enemies and you will dwell securely. 
So there's two Rashis here. The first one, you should cross the Jordan. You should apportion it, and each individual should have his portion in his dwelling place. And the last Rashi of our section of Sunday, again, we're saying here, and he will give you rest from all your enemies around. So after the conquest and the division, after those 14 years, then you'll have rest from the nations that are left over. So why are the nations left over? Why didn't God just let us get rid of all of them? But they were there to test you. Meaning, if you mess up, they're right there as a thorn in your side or as a whip. Make sure that you, you, you stay with God. Now, this idea of this temporary tabernacle was, only, was through the times of King David. And King David said, this doesn't make any sense. I have a house. First, I'm fighting, fighting, fighting. But then, truly, the verse is fulfilled, and I have rest from the enemies. And I have a house. And, and God's ark sits in a curtain. He, he, he doesn't have a home. So this was the catalyst. I see this verse is fulfilled. We have rest for our enemies, finally. David spent most of his years as king fighting the enemies. But at the end, there's rest from the enemies. We've got to give God a home. That's what the verse says. And that is the end of 